you've joined us on Songs of Praise, an hour of musical reflection to encourage your heart. Oh, oh, oh.
I've been traveling for Jesus so much of my life. I've been traveling on land and on sea. But I'm counting on taking a trip to the sky that will be the last move for me. When I move to the sky, up to heaven on high, what a wonderful trip that will be. I'm all ready to go, washed in Calvary's blow. That will be the last move for me. Here I'm bothered with packing each time that I move, and I carry a load in each hand. But I'll not need one thing that I've used in this world when I move to my heavenly home. When I move to the sky up to heaven on high, what a wonderful trip that will be. I'm all ready to go, washed in Calvary's blow. That will be the last move for me. I'm all ready to go, washed in Calvary's flow. That will be the last move for me. My hurting heart 
We hope you're enjoying Songs of Praise. Here's some more inspirational music. Will there be spoken? 
Stay. 
Songs of Praise continues with more inspirational music. There's a cloud of many witnesses with Christ in heaven above. Watching as we run this race, they cheer us on in love. There are faces we have seen before and more we've never known. They fought the battles, took their stand. We reap what they have sown. So I'm not ashamed to claim the name of Jesus. I am not ashamed to tell the world He's mine. Gladly I'll proclaim this gospel to all people. I am not ashamed, I will claim His name. Now I take my stand in Jesus and serve the Lord today. I give my strength and purpose, I sing and work and pray, and though all the world may mock me, or walk on caring by, I'll stay with Christ my Savior, His name I'll not deny. So I'm not ashamed to claim the name of Jesus, I am not ashamed to tell the Ashamed, I will claim his name. So I'm not ashamed to claim the name of Jesus. I am not ashamed to tell the world he's mine. Gladly I'll proclaim this gospel to all people. I am not ashamed, I will claim his name. I am not Ashamed. I am not ashamed. I will claim his name. Look to Cry. 
He can. 
Songs of Praise. It's our desire to encourage and uplift your thoughts to our loving Creator God. In heaven beyond, we will enter the land. The battle belongs to the Lord. No weapon that's fashioned against us will stand. The battle belongs to the Lord. And we sing glory, honor, power, and strength to the Lord. We sing glory, honor. Power and strength to the Lord. When the power of darkness comes in like a flood, the battle belongs to the Lord. He's raised up a standard, the power of His blood. The battle belongs to the Lord. And we sing glory, honor, power and strength to the Lord. We sing glory, honor, power and strength to the Lord. Enemy presses and hard, do not fear. The battle belongs to the Lord. Encourage, my friend, your redemption is near. The battle belongs to the Lord. And we sing glory, honor, power and strength to the Lord. We sing glory, honor, power and strength to the Lord. And we sing glory, Brethren, we have met to worship and adore the Lord our God. Will you pray with all your power while we speak and hear his word? All is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. Brethren, pray and holy manner will be showered all around. Brethren, see poor sin. Bring on the brink of war. Death is coming, hell is moving. Can you bear to let them go? See our fathers and our mothers and our children sinking down. Brethren, pray and holy manna will be showered all around. Brethren, there are saints who wander who were once near Christ their Lord. They have denied the Savior and need fellowship restored. Yet the Savior offers mercy if they will repent the wound. Brethren, pray and holy manna will be showered all around. Sisters, will you join and help us? Moses, sister, aided him. Will you seek the trembling mourners? 
those who are struggling hard with sin. Tell them all about the Savior. Tell them that he will be found. Pray on sisters and the manna will be showered all around. Let us love our God supremely. Let us love each other too. Let us love and pray for sinners till our Lord makes all things new. Then he'll call us home to heaven, at his table we'll sit down. Christ will gird himself and serve us with his manna all around. Then he'll call us home to heaven, at his table we'll sit down. Christ will gird himself and serve us with sweet manna all around. Yes.
sweet the birds hush their singing and the melody that he gave to me within my heart is Join us again next time on Songs of Praise, brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio, to enjoy more uplifting music. Welcome to 3ABN Australia Radio's book reading program. The book, The Ministry of Healing by Alan White, provides sound counsel regarding holistic health. It covers all aspects of living that contributes to good health like cheerfulness, fresh air, exercise, diet, and positive relationships with other people, to name a few. Crucial also is a personal relationship with our Creator, who gave us life and everything we need for health and happiness. In this book, Alan White deals with sickness of the soul and the healing balm to be found by trusting God in all things. Written in simple, beautiful language, ministry healing will point to a life full of joy and happiness, a life connected with the source of healing power. Let's join our book reader, Rosalie Ricards. Hello, this is Rosalie, and I'm reading from the book Ministry of Healing by Alan White. Chapter 3, With Nature and with God. The Saviour's life on earth was a life of communion with nature and with God. In this communion, he revealed for us the secret of a life of power. Jesus was an earnest, constant worker. Never lived there among men, another so weighted with responsibilities. Never another carried so heavy a burden of the world's sorrow and sin. Never another toiled with such self-consuming zeal for the good of men. Yet his life was a life of health. 
Physically, as well as spiritually, he was represented by the sacrificial lamb, without blemish and without spot. 1 Peter 1.19 In body, as in soul, he was an example of what God designed all humanity to be through obedience to his laws. As the people looked upon Jesus, they saw a face in which divine compassion was blended with conscious power. He seemed to be surrounded with an atmosphere of spiritual life. While his manners were gentle and unassuming, he impressed men with a sense of power that was hidden, yet could not be wholly concealed. During his ministry, he was continually pursued by crafty and hypocritical men who were seeking his life. Spies were on his track, watching his words to find some occasion against him. The keenest and most highly cultured minds of the nation sought to defeat him in controversy, but never could they gain an advantage. They had to retire from the field, confounded, and put to shame by the lowly teacher from Galilee. Christ's teaching had a freshness and a power such as men had never before known. Even his enemies were forced to confess, never man spake like him. John 7:46. The childhood of Jesus spent in poverty had been uncorrupted by the artificial habits of a corrupt age. Working at the carpenter's bench, bearing the burdens of a home life, learning the lessons of obedience and toil, he found recreation amidst the scenes of nature gathering knowledge as he sought to understand nature's mysteries. He studied the Word of God, and his hours of greatest happiness were found when he could turn aside from the scene of his labours to go into the fields, to meditate in the quiet valleys, to hold communion with God on the mountainside, or amid the trees of the forest. The early morning often found him in some secluded place, meditating, searching the scriptures, or in prayer. With the voice of singing, he welcomed the morning light. With songs of thanksgiving, he cheered his hours of labor and brought heaven's gladness to the toil-worn and disheartened. During his ministry, Jesus lived to a great degree an outdoor life. His journeys from place to place were made on foot, and much of his teaching was given in the open air. In training, his disciples he often withdrew from the confusion of the city to the quiet of the fields, as more in harmony with the lessons of simplicity, faith, and self-abnegation he desired to teach them. It was beneath the sheltering trees of the mountainside, but a little distance from the Sea of Galilee, that the twelve were called to the apostolate, and the Sermon on the Mount was given. Christ loved to gather the people about him under the blue heavens, on some grassy hillside, or on the beach beside the lake. Here, surrounded by the works of his own creation, he would turn their thoughts from the artificial to the natural. In the growth and development of nature were revealed the principles of his kingdom. As men should lift their eyes to the hills of God and behold the wonderful works of his hand, they could learn precious lessons of divine truth. In future days, the lessons of the divine teacher would thus be repeated to them by the things of nature. 
the mind would be uplifted and the heart would find rest. The disciples who were associated with him in his work, Jesus often released for a season that they might visit their homes and rest. But in vain were their efforts to draw him away from his labours. All day he ministered to the throngs that came to him, and at eventide, or in the early morning, he went away to the sanctuary of the mountains for communion with his Father. Often his incessant labour and the conflict with the enmity and false teaching of the rabbis left him so utterly wearied that his mother and brothers and even his disciples feared that his life would be sacrificed. But as he returned from the hours of prayer that closed the toilsome day, they marked the look of peace upon his face, the freshness and life and power that seemed to evade his whole being. From hours spent alone with God, he came forth morning by morning to bring the light of heaven to men. It was just after the return from their first missionary tour that Jesus bade his disciples come apart and rest a while. The disciples had returned filled with joy of their successes as heralds of the gospel when the tidings reached them of the death of John the Baptist at the hand of Herod. It was a bitter sorrow and disappointment. Jesus knew that in leaving the Baptist to die in prison, he had severely tested the disciples' faith. With pitying tenderness, he looked upon their sorrowful, tear-stained faces. Tears were in his own eyes and voice as he said, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. Mark 6.31 Near Bethsaida, at the northern end of the Sea of Galilee, was a lonely region, beautiful with the green of spring that offered a welcome retreat to Jesus and his disciples. For this place they set out going in their boat across the lake. Here they could rest apart from the confusion of the multitude. Here the disciples could listen to the words of Christ, undisturbed by the retorts and accusations of the Pharisees. Here they hoped to enjoy a short season of fellowship in the society of their Lord. Only a short time did Jesus have alone with his beloved ones, but how precious to them were those few moments. They talked together regarding the work of the gospel and the possibility of making their labour more effective in reaching the people. As Jesus opened to them the treasures of truth, they were vitalised by divine power and inspired with hope. But soon he was again sought by the multitude. Supposing that he had gone to his usual place for retirement, the people followed him thither. His hope to gain even one hour of rest was frustrated, but the depth of his pure, compassionate heart, the good shepherd of the sheep, had only love and pity for these restless, thirsting souls. All day he ministered to their needs, and at evening dismissed them to go to their homes and rest. In a life wholly devoted to the good of others, the Saviour found it necessary to turn aside from ceaseless activity and contact with human needs to seek retirement and unbroken communion with his Father. As the throng 
that had followed him depart. He goes into the mountains and there alone with God pours out his soul in prayer for these suffering, sinful, needing ones. When Jesus said to his disciples that the harvest was great and the laborers were few, he did not urge upon them the necessity of ceaseless toil, but bade them, Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Matthew 9.38 To his toil-worn workers today, as really as to his first disciples, he spake these words of compassion, Come ye yourselves apart and rest a while. All who are under the training of God need the quiet hour for communion with their own hearts, with nature and with God. In them is to be revealed a life that is not in harmony with the world, its customs or its practices, and they need to have a personal experience in obtaining a knowledge of the will of God. We must individually hear him speaking to the heart. When every other voice is hushed and in quietness we wait before him, the silence of the soul makes more distinct the voice of God. He bids us be still and know that I am God. Psalm 46.10 This is the effectual preparation for all labour for God. Amidst the hurrying throng and the strain of life's intense activities, he who is thus refreshed will be surrounded with the atmosphere of light and peace. He will receive a new endowment of both physical and mental strength. His life will breathe out a fragrance and will reveal a divine power that will reach men's hearts. End of chapter 3. Join us again next time when Rosalie Rickards continues reading from the book The Ministry of Healing, here on your station, 3ABN Australia Radio.
William Macklin with you again today, friends. Today, I would like to talk to you about gardens. If we could point out one single thing that people have done that pleases the senses, it is making a lovely garden. We go for a walk. Would we choose a heavily industrial area through which to stroll and expect to come back and say, what lovely sights I saw today? About all we could say is that we had a good, brisk or slow walk, depending on our age, but of the sights and scents we sensed, probably the least said the better. However, and how pregnant with meaning is that word, a garden well planned is something else. And like a walk through the bush, where nature seems to have placed everything in a chaotic order that looks just right, a planted garden takes thought and planning. What therefore are those components that make a garden, a park, something that entrances us? First of all, there is the grass of the right type for the local climate. Then at the opposite end of the size are trees, majestic tall trees, evergreens usually, and if in a temperate climate, a good mixture of deciduous trees that make autumn the best of the four seasons. We cannot stop there, for we must have a good range of small bushes of interesting shapes, some that flower and others that don't. The highlights of a colourful garden are, of course, the flowers. And let's throw in a fountain or two, and an arch or three, and flowing water, ponds and bridges. Given that there are almost a limitless variety of flowers from which to choose for a planned garden or park, the imagination is the limit. It does help to have a good knowledge of flowers though, the conditions they like, when they will come into bloom, some scented, others not, but with a cheeky flounce that catches the eye, and we wonder, why can't we humans dress ourselves as lovely as do the flowers? Think of the whole range of colours flowers come in, almost limitless it seems, and it seems too that in the natural world no colour clashes with any other. Unlike the colours we humans make, some just are never seen with another, unless it is those colourful dresses we see ladies wear in some societies. What makes those colours work is the vibrancy, the exuberance of the wearer of their national costumes. So let us think again about our gardens. Interesting shapes also attract the eye and make every garden unique. Pruning shears are what turn a standard bush or small tree into an animal or geometric shape we may not have thought of, and all due to the ingenuity of the gardener. Topiary is a delight to the eye. Of course, we have to admit that maintenance of a garden, a park, is essential to maintain its attractiveness. There is much physical hard work in conjunction with wise planning necessary to entice people to come back and see the results of the gardening gifts that others have. There are some gardens, no, parks, no, vast landscapes that no human being has had a hand in producing. A background of snow-sprinkled mountains with forests of intense colours in autumn fill the vision with a loveliness that people come to admire from all over the world. A gardener or a team of gardeners could not make that. There is a gardener though who can and who does, who in his thoughtfulness does for us what we cannot do for ourselves, makes a garden, 
so large that turns our thoughts and eyes upward to the one who loves us more than we can know.